Hi, you've reached the Mario Rosenstock podcast. Please leave a message. <laughs> yeah, 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 Mario, Dave Fanning here. Really looking forward to the episode today with Tom Dunn. Yeah, I can't wait to hear Tom talking about creativity. Really looking forward to keeping a calculation as well on my computer. How many times David Bowie is mentioned in the episode? <laughs> Good luck. Mario, this is Bono. Um, yeah, when Tom Dunn is in the house, you know, something happens. It's a kind of, you know, spiritual thing. It's transformative. It's, you know, metaphys... <sighs> Sorry, I, I haven't an idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, my new book, Surrender, is in all good bookstores now. Yeah. I love music. There are few things I love more than a deep and detailed conversation about music. I know very little about music, but somehow I'm still fascinated by it. Um, I'm fascinated by how songs are written, what drives the people who write them, what makes one song a worldwide hit and another a flop. Is there some sort of alchemy involved? If so, what is it? Um, I'd really like to know. There's just so much to learn and discover. So for this episode, I invited an old friend of the podcast, Tom Dunn, back into the studio. To continue the chat we started a few months ago, here on this podcast. In this one, we talk about the greats, both past and present. Um, We talk about people like the Beatles, Dylan and Bowie, to Al Green, Don McLean, Harry Styles and Lizzo. Tom also shares his experience of seeing Paul McCartney at Glastonbury and his opinions on whether Harry Styles fits the typical bill for headlining Slane. Even if you are not obsessive about music, like I am, uh, but you know not too much about it, like I do, you're still going to love Tom's brilliant stories, told in his own inimitable Tom Dunn way. I always feel I'm kind of touching and trying to work out what's going on with mm. these people and where they try to take whatever they're yes. trying to write. That that fascinates me. Yes. And how people pull off different it little is. tricks. You know, how people can get something so simple, so right. Well, even it. Paul McCartney at Glastonbury, mm. he said, look, don't think I don't notice that when I do a Beatles song, you all hold the phones in the air. And then when I say, here's one of the new ones, the phones go down. Aww, yeah, he said so that. <laughs> so, so they know it, but they feel like, look, it's kind of a deal yeah. we have here. He is a star. Some people just have it. When you walked onto those auditions for X Factor, you looked at him and you thought, if he can sing, they have a chance here. And then since then, it has only gotten better and better and better. You know, he owns the pitch at this stage. You know, he owns all the footballs and the pitch and all the training facilities. He's the man. He's the man. So we had a moment in the car where it came on and my hand reached over. But so too did my 15-year-old daughter's hand. So she thought I was turning it down. (laughs) And we were both turning it up. And she says, do you like this? I said, oh, yes, I like this. My full fascinating chat with Tom coming up very shortly. But first, I threw it out on Twitter a while ago asking people about the best gigs they've ever been to, asking them to drop me a line on WhatsApp, voice notes or voicemails, and some very well-known Irish singers and stars got back in touch. Daniel O'Donnell. I'd say the greatest gig I've ever been at was The Prodigy. It was a warehouse rave thing in 1993 in Liverpool. Off me tits I was now at the time, coming up on an owl wee yoke. When Smack My Bitch Up came on, the place fucking exploded, so it did. I was down in the mosh pit now going apeshit when a lad threw me an owl headbutt. Jesus, 43 stitches I had. 
But didn't I put the wee fella in hospital for a week? Brilliant fucking gig. Ronan Keating. Fair play. Actually, I went to see Tom Dunn. Nothing Happens were huge at the time. Absolutely massive. And I still think Paralyzed is one of the greatest Irish singles ever released. I gave Tom a shout a couple of years ago about doing a covers album, but I still haven't heard back from him. Come on, Tom! Professor Luke O'Neill. Yeah, I think uh, I think the best gig I was ever at was actually uh, an impromptu gig, would you believe, I did myself <laughs> in Dublin city centre during lockdown. Yeah, I just grabbed me six string and just started singing, you know, something a little ditty I made up myself. And suddenly there were hundreds of people gathered around, then thousands, then, uh, you know, there were people roaring, dancing, laughing. And I, I distinctly remember, I'll never forget Tony Holohan driving by and pulling out his phone and getting a picture and a, a sort of a quizzical, puzzled look in his face. I'll never forget it. Yeah, <laughs> good times. Exclusive comedy sketches every week on the Mario Rosenstock podcast. And if you want to get in touch with me by email, it's mariorosenstock at gmail.com. And drop me a line. Um, I read them all and I get back to about 95% of them. And if you want to drop me a line about your best gigs that you've ever been to and any stories or anecdotes that you think would be entertaining enough to read out, do so. mariorosenstock at gmail.com. Okay, let's get to it. My special guest, the great musician, brilliant broadcaster, and even better writer, that is Tom Dunn. If you haven't read him in the Irish Examiner every week, he's absolutely brilliant. I've been telling him for ages he should turn them into a book. He's met so many of the world's great musicians and has so many great stories to tell. And you're about to hear quite a few of them right now. Enjoy. So, Tom, welcome back to the Mario Rosenstock podcast, um, which uh, uh, since the last time we talked is now an award-winning podcast, award-winning. of course. Yeah, absolutely. And How often that phrase is used with you, Mario. <laughs> award-winning. so kind. Oh, it's true. It, it's so true. kind. Now, uh, Tom, you know, you probably know that I'm fascinated by music and yeah. I'm enthusiastic about music and I'm curious about music and I'm curious about everything to do with music in terms of its cultural relevance, in terms of what makes people be turned on by music. I'm curious about songs itself, what makes a great song, why a song becomes a great song, why a song, how a song is even created. And of course, yeah. um, you, you know, you've created... I can't, some... I can't answer any of those questions. <laughs> you've created no, some fantastic songs. Well, the more I've gone on, the more, you know, in awe of the whole process I am. The, mm. more, the more I look at things and think, how did they do that? And, and what makes that so good? And it really, it's become more interesting, if anything, yeah. as, as the years have gone by. I don't know if you got to see the, the Beatles, Let It Be. Yeah, I've seen about, I've seen, I think about four of the, four of the, the, yeah. the hours where, of it. Where Paul starts to write Get Back. Yeah. And there's that moment where you can just recognise it, just a tiny bit of the bass line that's going to yeah. be going boom, 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 yeah. boom, boom, boom. And you're going, this is it coming, this is Get Back yeah. coming down the tracks. It's coming down the tracks. Paul. Yeah. And you're, it's, it starts, it's like he's he's carving away. It's there, it exists, and he's trying to chip off little bits and reveal more of it. I'm, I'm more and more mm. blown away. It, release, it reveals just that small bit you said there as well, re- reveals that um, interesting idea that some great musicians, in fact, they all do now because they've all heard each other talking about it, that idea that how do you discover, how do you write a great song? And more and more of them now come back to the same cliche, which the first one I ever heard using it was, was Keith Richards. And of course, Keith was going, hey, man, it's, it's just out there, man. It's in the ether. Yeah. It's up there, man. And yeah. you, you just pluck it out of the air. Yeah. And so the idea was that it was already there yeah. and that you basically just got yourself into a, uh, put yourself in a, in a, in a, in a tune yeah. with this piece of music. Yeah. You plucked it out of the sky. God, if you like, gave yeah. it to you. Yeah, uh, you didn't make it. 
No. It was given to you. You can't, feel, you can't feel any sense of accomplishment afterwards. You don't really feel like you've done something. You, you feel like, you feel like, well, don't ask me to do it again. That's the way you feel. Like, like don't ask me to write Parachute too, because mm. I, I couldn't. You know, I, you know that. But the more I've gone on, and I know it sounds a bit hippy-dippy-ish at times, that the song is out there and it's in the universe and all, the more I believe that. And, and the more I've talked to people, and there was a guy on the show, his name escapes me now, but he was saying that, and he um, he wasn't in music for about 20 years. And he was saying, what, what kills me now is all the songs that I didn't get during those 20 years. That, And he said, other people probably got them. So he's saying they're out there. And other pe- if you don't tune in and try and get them, yeah. other people will get them. And I kind of feel that on a certain level, there's some there's something going on there. Because I haven't written songs for a long time either. Well, this is something I'm going to talk to you in a while, because that's... Yeah. Another interesting subject. But yeah, somebody was talking about this the other day in relation to uh, comedy as well. And it was the idea of, it relates to the idea of tuning in, but yeah. it's the idea of playtime. Yeah. And that as we grow older as adults, we find it di- more difficult and more difficult yeah. and more difficult to play, yeah. to be childlike. Not to be yeah. childish, but to no. be childlike. Yeah. And childlike is the act of playing. And yeah. in the moment of play, we receive creativity. Yeah. It, while you are creative, ideas happen. Yeah. While ideas happen, innovation happens. Yeah. What is innovation? It's something new. Yeah. Ding! Yeah. It's the light bulb moment. Yeah. And that creates the new book, the new play, the new yeah. song, the new film. Yeah. You have to let yourself go into this little funny area that yeah. adults shouldn't let themselves no. be in. The area that your wife comes along and he's doing that stupid thing again yes. in the kitchen. How, how long do you need to work on this thing for? Yeah. You've said the same phrase 300 times now for yeah. two days. What's going on? Or in my case, she comes in, our dash will say, uh, Mommy's talking to himself again in the kitchen <laughs> in another voice. And I wouldn't know I'm doing it. Yeah. And you're having a, you're doing, you're, you're actually creating a little script in your mind with yeah. two people who are in your mind. Yeah. yeah. For me, little songs come to me uh, in those moments. And COVID was where it started to make its comeback in, in spades because we had all, had all this downtime and all I could do is go for the walks in your 2K area with the dog and songs were coming into my head. So, and it was one I really liked, Christmas song, which you'll definitely hear between now and Christmas. Um, and I was thinking, it's in my head, and I recorded it, sang it into my, my, my phone. I think this is good. This is good. This Festivus de Mesticus is Mesticus at Mesticus. I thought, I love that line. That's a really good line. I need to get more of that, right? So I'm walking, I'm thinking, this is good, this is good. So um, singing as much as I can in, into the uh, into the, little, the phone. But then I went, I don't have any skills. I don't have any band, because they're all in their own 2K area, miles away from me. I can't progress this. So I took guitar lessons online. And the, the Christmas song was, was pivotal because I said to the guitar teacher, um, there's a song I need to write. <laughs> so you're going to teach me guitar, but only yes, to play this song. But there's one song in particular where all this is leading, right? So he says, there are any song it reminds you of. So there was a song on the Bob Dylan album, the, the, the most recent one, um, Building My Own Version of You. And the guitar on that was very swampy and lovely. And I said, yeah, that's the kind of thing. So we did a bit, bit of work on that. And we found that that was a really common guitar riff. It's actually the Changing Man guitar riff. You know Paul Weller's Changing Man? No. Nope. I'm the Changing Man. It's that guitar oh, I riff. I think I do know. Yeah, that's familiar. Which ELO have used as well. So yeah. basically it's, it's, it's out of copyright really is the big issue. <laughs> okay, Tom. <laughs> yes. ka Yes. So I'm having that. Yeah. So it was perfect for the song and, and I, I got that song finished. But, yeah. but it was all down to that time, that, that moment to be creative again. And I had done that when I when we were writing songs, eight years professional with the, with the band, writing songs. But I went into radio. I was really enjoying radio. I was enjoying other people's creativity. 
um, I was listening to what they were writing and trying to put that together into a show, which I was loving. There's, there's no question. I loved it. Um, so I kind of, I was happy not to be in that zone where you're waking up at four in the morning and thinking, well, I have to record this or it'll be gone. Um, but when with COVID came, I started going back into that zone and really liking it. Uh, as a result now, there's loads of stuff going on, Mario. Yes. <laughs> there's loads of stuff going on. There's a solo show. There's shows with fake now. Yeah, that's on. right. I'm going to I'm going to talk to you yeah. about that in a while. And there's the happens, you know, yeah. still. Yeah, but I'm I'm, I'm 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 interested just to yeah. d- dive deep, little deeper into the creativity thing. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously people you know know you for a few, some hit singles as well, right? And I'm just wondering, have there been other times in your life, for example, where you've written other songs that you think are every bit as good as those hit singles, but for one reason or another? don't get platformed or take off. Yeah, totally. Um, and we, we kind of peaked at our first two albums. Mm. The second album in particular was number one. It had Parachute and Low Low on it, and, mm. which was great. But then we had this kind of three album period where we were let go of a virgin, but we were now being faded in America and we were touring America a lot. We toured there 14 times, two of them, three months long, really a lot of time in mm. America. And we had an album released over there on a record label and one released over here on BMG. So we were writing songs like it was going out of style. A lot of them, I felt, were really great um, we couldn't get arrested over here we were coming over here back to Ireland we sounded like an American guitar band this time because that's where our hearts were we loved American guitar music yeah. and we loved where they were from we loved all the influences they had which made bands like Wilco very big years later but for us coming back to Ireland we weren't parish- the parachute band anymore with them and, yeah. and, and it was odd it was, it was a this is interesting though because situation to be in but that is interesting though because oh, some of those songs are gorgeous yeah but this is this is what I find fascinating yeah. as an outsider a person as I said who loves music and loves the idea that you could write songs which are you know possibly you know let's say catchier more yeah. uh, superior even to the ones you had and they don't get platformed okay let's jump to something somebody ridiculous mm. somebody that you love Paul McCartney yeah okay and I know about your love affair with Paul McCartney yes. and the Mozart of the 20th That's century him. and I would agree and maybe Lennon was the Beethoven yeah but um, you know dark and light you yeah. know but the um, the idea that I was saying to Caprina there before we came on, it was like, if Paul McCartney wrote the greatest Paul McCartney song ever next Tuesday, nobody would care or hear it. I, I don't know if that's totally true. I, I think, because I, you know, as I love him mm. and I, I thought but would every, they everything. I don't think he is able to write stuff that chimes with the public imagination the way those songs did. I think the fact that he was 24 he was writing a bit about being a 24 year old and that's that audience that's the audience that really goes oh, yes and I think years and years later when you're writing what it's be to be 70 that doesn't have the same romantic power about it it doesn't fill people full of passion so even if they are great songs they won't chime with an audience the way Hey Jude would or something like that they, they felt they could change the world and it's a really that's a really intoxicating feeling to hear somebody singing because you yeah. feel it too I you're young that, I find that difficult to understand what yeah. you're saying there now let me just do, Go come at it from a different angle Yeah. if you look at novelists yeah. and you know I'm sure you've thought about this yeah. 50, 60, 70, 75, 80 yeah. if they're in good health yeah. they keep getting good absolutely you look at comedians yeah. look at my area Yeah. somebody like George Carlin yeah. who got better and better and better yeah. pretty much, till he died. Yeah. Look at somebody contemporary like Tommy Tiernan. You can't say Tommy Tiernan's getting any worse. No. He was probably getting better. Billy yeah. Connolly was getting yeah. better up till Parkinson's. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so they get better. Um, yeah. Look at, um, in other areas. So, yeah. so for example, let's say romantic, compo- or sorry, uh, 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 classical composers tend to go on. The, mm. It's this peculiar rock and roll pop yeah. song stuff. Yeah. They reach this point and then after it, it's like as if they're, um, it's like as if Logan's run. 
It's like as if they're brought yeah. to the carousel and they're told, I'm afraid you've reached the age of 30. <laughs> it's time to die. Yeah. So it's like, for me, right, I don't even know this for yeah. sure, but something, Let's Dance was probably David Bowie's last moment in the sun, maybe. I don't know, was yeah. it? Around that? Yeah, yeah it would have been. 1983? The, the, the last albums were sensational. The, one, the two before he But died. they weren't huge. No, but, but in artistic terms, they were spectacular. You know, Leonard Cohen's last album. But why he wasn't died. he chiming, as you say, with the world? Because yeah, it's, I think really great rock music is young. Okay. It is young. It Made is, by young is, people. Yeah, it is the Harry Styles. Okay. It is that. And it's youthfulness. And I think Simple Minds, there's a great book about him at the moment, Graham Thompson. And he says, what was so exciting about it is it was as if they were exploring an unexplored city where every day it's like you and I were saying we don't know anything and when you have that I don't know anything but I believe in the one thing that I do know it's all very heady and excitement and exciting and later on when you learn all the skills and you start to fill in the gaps and your lyrics have more kind of light and shade to them and you're much better in the studio there's some some incredible ingredient is just gone from what is it some little spark of youthfulness I, yeah. I think it's, it's it literally is the sound of youthfulness and each generation okay. has its own spark and that's why we can talk to them until the cows come home they aren't going to listen to us because it's that, it's that youthful thing that they identify with it's the new wave coming and I think music really captures each new wave and I, don't, I think writing it isn't as it isn't as heady as that I just read the new Robert Harris one which is sensational he gets better and better mm. in, in music the, the more you, the better you are kind of at your art form somehow the less interesting it is it's that when you're finding your way around and it's so important to you to master this and to say what's in your heart say what's in your soul so what I'm getting out of that is the word raw yeah raw and absolutely flawed yeah flawed all over the place yeah raw and that's when you hear a new voice that's a new thing like Amy Winehouse when she began and you knew that was just a new voice and you're just going wow what is this and I think that is another thing about music it is the new all the time and it's been built on that for decades everyone has that little peak in their in their life so in a sense it is different to other art forms yes it is different yeah. and it in is. a sense then Rolling Stones, who, again, I'll get this wrong because I don't know anything. Rolling Stones, who didn't write a, a hit song since 1983 or whatever, Start Me Up or something like that. They learned their lesson. They said, oh, yeah, yeah, let's stop writing <laughs> stuff then. Just do my old stuff and we're all new. Yes, yes. And, and the old stuff is great. You know, but it's funny, if you go and see them, and I saw them in Croke Park um, four years ago, they, they have to put a few new songs in. But you know those new songs are just in for themselves. They just but why have, are they in for themselves? Because they feel like, oh, I really hate the way they don't like anything new that we've and they written. And they try to bore <laughs> you with it. Yeah, they kind of say, Maybe we can bore them to death Well, even it. Paul McCartney at Glastonbury, mm. he said, look, don't think I don't notice that when I do a Beatles song, you all hold the phones in the air. Yeah. And then when I say, here's one of the new ones, the phones go down. Oh, yeah, he said so cute. that. <laughs> so, so they know it, but they feel like, look, it's kind of a deal yeah. we have here. I am going to play. Do you she think McCartney... You suffers from being alive and to being nice. Yeah, both of those things. But what's he going to do about them? <laughs> what are his options there? I mean, They're very his, limited. The other guy, Beethoven, was dead yeah. and he was an arsehole. Yes. Now, in many respects, he was an yeah. arsehole. I mean, he, he, he was objectionable in many, many... He was a visionary and he was a poet. Yeah. And he was, a, he was, he was kind and he had the... He was Jesus Christ. Yeah. In another way. Yeah, but he was like an asshole Jesus Christ. Yeah. He was Jesus Christ with a sharp tongue. I think, yeah, Paul is such a genius. Uh, and I think oh, when he had that foil of John, some extra level came out of him. There's no question about that. I think maybe 
John was probably the only person he could be competitive with in his entire life. And similarly the other way. Yeah, uh, exactly. What, what people think is sometimes, I think, because uh, I do have a bit of an interest in the Beatles, yeah. as in, I, which is slightly above my normal interest. And, and people think that like John, you, on the outside, might kind of look down at Paul and his silly little songs. Yeah. But really secretly, John had the highest of regard for oh, Paul. totally. And I know some of his songs might appear silly, mm. but other ones he knows aren't silly at all. Yeah. Isn't there that train of thought as well that, that hey, there's a huge depth to McCartney yeah. in other songs? What, what must John have thought when he heard Hey Jude? What, what, what must have gone through his head? There's a great story about the Rolling Stones. They just finished the Satanic Majesty Request album, which is like a really awful version of Sgt. Pepper. And they'd booked a nightclub in, in Kensington to play it to people. And it was playing and everyone cool in the world, Anita Pallenberg, all those kind of motley, beautiful people were all there. And then Paul arrived in at two in the morning with an acetate of Hey Jude. <laughs> he said, yes. And he said, look, can I just play this? It's our new single. Mm. And, and, you know, the Stones were devastated. Like the whole room was just going, oh my God. The moment they heard yeah, it. Yeah, like the Beatles just can't do any wrong. They just get better and better. And, and the whole room knows, lads, while you're, you're good, but you're no Beatles. While uh, you're there, the, just the, Hey Jude and Let It Be are, are, are two of the most moving, moving vocal, vo- yeah. moving audio experiences, aural yeah. experiences yeah. I can ever dream yeah, of having. Totally. And the long and winding long road, and winding road as well. As well. And that, a lot of them are Paul at the piano and he just seems to sit there and in the Let It Be thing, it seems that every time Paul sits at the piano something magical happens. And it's lovely to watch. He, he looks very childlike when he does. His little head goes down and you get the impression he's not a brilliant piano player but he has enough to get, get through and write songs on it. And in a way, the fact that he's limited perhaps at his musical instrument, yeah. of course, you know, the, 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 sometimes when you're limited by your, your um, yeah. equipment and by your talent, yeah. that you have to stay within this range yeah, and, and investigate the, the possibilities within we, that range. We used to find we would bring in um, piano players because Ray wrote Parachute on piano and suddenly we needed a piano in the band. So we'd bring in piano players. They were often professionally trained. Fitzy in particular had done four years over in London and they would change things and they would start embellishing things and you'd have to go oh no 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 that's not what we want so it's like they had learned how to do things and now having learned that it's how they did things they were bringing you back into the world of the real world whereas yeah. you wanted to be in the imaginary world yeah. the fantasy world the world that you were dreaming up the new world yeah and and not to because if you play an A minor the next chord will always be C not, not to think like that to think we'll do an A minor where will we go next it was that kind of you know yeah. think outside the box and how can we make this uniquely us and not um, he used to do a little fiddle at the end of each line that put us into um, a, a completely put us into a big Tom uh, musical world there you had to be very careful not to go into um, <laughs> so don't do that with your right hand yeah. ever again yeah. Fitzy we would say um, so yeah it's, there are magical moments his little head goes from side to yeah. side and, and something beautiful comes from him which mm. couldn't come from anybody else there's a great video actually you know the video of, of, uh, of Hey Jude um, that big video with I think it's David Frost introduces it oh, and he yeah. says ladies and gentlemen a little known band from the Liverpool uh, the Beatles yes. and they do Hey Jude and you can see Lennon and McCartney looking at, you can see uh, Lennon looking across at McCartney during the song every so often just look just to looking at him just to, t- to where are we going where just yeah. just the way he looks at him is just yeah. oh their chemistry and the their chemistry the two of them had such chemistry together yeah, I, I think it is where you see it, they're, they're the only people who, who can rate each other like he's looking at Paul and thinking you're the only one in the world like me I know and for he, me it's Nadal yeah. and Federer it's yes, Nadal there's a beautiful yeah. video recently of Federer going he's on his way yeah. to his last match ever and he's going hi guys I'm just in the car um, and the camera's close just in the car on the way to 
in my last ever match and some guy in the car with me and fucking Nadal is in the <laughs> oh, passenger man. seat and he's just hello <laughs> and it's just there's a guy in the car yeah. it's the second greatest player of all time or maybe the greatest yeah. but imagine the two goats in the car yeah. together it's yeah. Lennon and McCartney it is it is and I really wonder I think they would have they would have done stuff again I think you yeah. know John seemed to have an awful lot of stuff to work out that he seemed to go off but he had worked it out he was coming back he had done those two beautiful albums and he was on a, le- a level keel again was Imagine um, by John Lennon received well at the time? Yeah, it was. Was it? Was it, it was. big? Yeah, Imagine yeah. the mm. single itself I think went to number one. Oh, did it? Okay, yeah, so it was I, a big deal. Yeah, I, I think when you look back at that there's a general feeling that John, it was pumping up inside of John that he wanted to get out of the Beatles. He would all of these songs that didn't He probably had Imagine written before the Beatles, I'd say so, yeah. That ended. Yeah. He did the Plastic Owner Band and then he did the Imagine album. He did them in quick succession. Is it possible that he would have offered that to the Beatles? Absolutely. Jesus Christ. Imagine could have been a Beatles song. Yes, it could. And (laughs) and when you start taking the stuff that George did, George did My Sweet Lord and stuff, and you put all that on what would have been the next Beatles album, it's better than Abbey Road. My sweet yeah. love. Was, <laughs> yeah. But the one that was not a subject of a court case. Yes, it was. My sweet lord, yeah. yes. And of course, I, I agree with him. Yeah, I, I'm very... It's out there. There's only a few chords. Oh God almighty, I wish people would shut up yeah. about Ed Sheeran and all that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Ed wasn't listening to your track no, when he wrote wasn't. it. And if I get a letter from Bob Dylan, <laughs> I got my Christmas song. <laughs> speaking about Bob Dylan, though, speaking about Bob Dylan, um, we talk about... We talk about creativity, yeah. or not creativity, but maybe chiming, yeah. ending at a certain yeah, age. Yeah, yeah. But really, his chime has gone on a bit longer. It has. And I, my, again, I don't know much about Bob yeah. Dylan, but there is one album that I really tapped into, and it was uh, Time Out of Mind. Yeah. And there's one particular song in Time Out of Mind that chimed, if to use your word. Yeah. And it chimed with, it's called Not Dark Yet. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And... There's some lines in Not Dark Yet which could have been written by any of the greatest poets. Yeah. And it describes Not Dark Yet is about having lived a life. It's not over yet, but it's kind of getting towards yeah. the end and you know it. Yeah. And he sings a line in it. First of all, the, the chorus is it's not dark yet, but it's getting there. Yeah. And he's talking about just sitting on a rock or whatever and his sun is going down. And he's considering all the scars on his body that he's had through his life. And he's going, you know, it's not, I've been here, I've been there, I've been to Paris, I've been to London. I I follow the river and I got to the sea. Um, it's not dark yet, but it's getting there. And he has a beautiful line in it. It's the opening of a verse and it's going, he goes, um, I was born here and I'll die here against my will. And it's just the most fucking beautiful yeah, line. Yeah. Imagine saying that about your life. Yeah. I was born here and I'll die here. Yeah. Against my will. Yeah. I didn't choose here. Yeah. I didn't choose Earth. No. <laughs> I'm Bob Dylan and I didn't choose Earth. I didn't choose to be born. Some woman gave birth to me and I won't choose to die. I didn't want any of this. How about the balls to write a line like yeah, that? Yeah, spectacular. Not lovely, isn't it's it? spectacular. The thing about Dylan, um, there's a great interview with him from, I think, 60 Minutes, where they play a little bit of one of his classic songs from the 60s, where it's this stream of consciousness, mm-hmm. sensational lyric writing that's going on. And they say, could you do that again? And he says, no, I couldn't do that again. I don't know how I was able to do it in the first place, but I can't do it again. But he found another way. He found, like, he kind of said, I'm not able to do that, what I was doing in the 60s. But I found another way. And that's where Not Dark Yet and songs like that have come from. They're later in his life where he works at them. But the work, this work is sensational. The quality is still amazing. Um, During COVID now, as I was learning guitar, um, Make You Feel My Love was one of the ones that I really wanted to learn. And that is just such a perfect lyric from beginning to end. 
you look at that and you go, it's not that stream of consciousness, 60s Dylan stuff that was so amazing, but it's so perfect. And if you want to try out a love song, they very often become so cheesy and so rubbishy. And there isn't a line in that that's wrong. And Not Dark Yet has that same quality. It's not, it's not Dark Yet, but it's getting there. That is such a brilliant turn it's of so phrase. so spare, sparse. Yeah. And economic. And I don't know if you can remember, but in the middle of COVID, um, in the very early days, his 17 minute long song yes. arrived yes. out of nowhere. Yes. And it was like some... But it was a political song, wasn't it? About well, the death of somebody or the un... The un- no, it spanned the whole 60s and 70s. Oh, sorry, yeah. And there was bits about um, bits about the Beatles and She Loves You. The Beatles want to hold your hand. So he was rolling from the John F. Kennedy assassination, which where America was rattled, to music coming out of the radio and the Beatles want to hold your hand. How that music was kind of taking people and carrying them on and telling them it'll be all right which I think is a fantastic theme. And he was he's then working in, you know, how music has carried him through life. It was a magnificent piece. I really, I really felt like we're in end of days. We're all just, oh, I'd go two kilometres away from our home. We've no idea where this is going to end. It's really scary. And Dylan's just written a 17 minute yeah. song. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> that is okay. End. Yeah, but it is kind of, <laughs> it couldn't have come at a different time. It's epitaph. Just, yeah, that yeah, was brilliant. I, I remember just thinking, I can never stop being grateful for this man. I just, his music is a gift, an absolute gift. And it's so many times in our lives, yes. in my life, it's just been such a wonderful presence yes. in my life. Yes. I always think that, um, I always, I, I have a, like a lot of people actually, people, a lot of people don't admit to this, but I have a slightly morbid fascination with the idea of certain people dying and what, yeah. what it will be like. Yeah. And of course, two of those people would be Paul McCartney and uh, Dylan. Yeah. And you kind of go, what will the world be like when they die? In other words, when we hear that, you, you, mm. where will you be? You might be, you might be packing your dishwasher, Tom. Yeah. And somebody will come in and go, McCartney's gone. Yeah. And you'll know, you'll never forget where you were. No. Because they'll be one of those people that you'll never forget where you were. No. It'll be a dark day. I remember where I was when, when Bowie died. Uh, I was downstairs. Monday mornings, I, I was the man to get the kids out of school. So yeah, my wife did it the other days. So Monday morning, half seven, I was down in the kitchen. And uh, my wife came downstairs and I thought, why is she downstairs? And then she said, did you hear Bowie? And I was broken, absolutely broken. Couldn't believe it. Because I've been thinking, oops, he had just released uh, the last album and there were bits on it that just really made me think, he's not long for this world. There's something going on here. He was saying things like, if I ever see England's green fields again. And I was thinking, oh, and he was saying, death had things on my, on my slippers. I was going, what's going on? And there was just a general sense of boys on the way out. So we had actually done a two-hour special, would you believe, the previous night with Jerry, his guitar player, is an Irish guitar player, Jerry Leonard. Yes. So I just felt that, I felt Bowie had been in my life longer than my wife had been in my life, was actually how I felt about it. Um, and I, we should do a two-hour special on him while he was alive and he was dead the next morning. <laughs> so, oh. God, the timing. Yeah, I was devastated. And my kids, for weeks after, were holding up Bob, uh, David Bowie albums to see if I'd cry. Literally going over and saying, Dad, and then showing me, you know, mm. one of his albums. Ugh. Tom, I could listen to you talking about music all day. And that's why I asked you to come on the podcast. And again, it's, it's, it's my lack of knowledge about the whole thing that I, I, I think I love like exposing to you as well. Because I spent my last 21, 22 years in the company of certain people. Ian Dempsey, Paul McClune. Tony Fenton, <laughs> the odd time, good few odd times, George Byrne, yeah, and Tom Dunn, yeah, and I'm going. I've learned to shut my mouth <laughs> when it comes to music, but yet 
Why? I don't have to shut my mouth. All I have to do is open up my ears and listen yeah. to these people. And it's fa- fascinating listening to McLoon yes. talking about music. He talks about it in a different way to you. He's uh, much more encyclopedic. Mm. I think, he is. To he's me. he's I, Wikipedia I, about it. I, I always feel I'm kind of touching and trying to work out what's going on with mm. these people and where they try to take whatever they're yes. trying to write. That that fascinates me. Yes. And how people pull off different it little is. tricks. You know, how people can get something so simple, so right. Yeah. That constantly just... We, we, I interviewed Don McLean down in oh Newbridge last Thursday. You remind me a little about Don McLean. You remind me a little of not 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 late stage Don yeah. McLean. You remind me a little of um you remind me a little of, of of 70s Don McLean. There's something about your physical appearance is that there? is not entirely different right. and you have very very you have a very resonant um yeah. beautiful voice. Right. And he of course has a beautiful voice. He does. I mean one of the most beautiful yeah. singing voices. Oh, stunning. So he was down in Newbridge and they have an exhibition there and they're, they're, it's going to be all this stuff in the exhibition is going to be auctioned in Julian's in, in New York in a month's time. So the guitar he wrote Vincent on and the handwritten lyrics of Vincent were there. You know, So it was all good and we were chatting away. And then they said, would you play the guitar? Would you, would you take out the guitar you wrote Vincent on and play it? So it came out and it hasn't been tuned since the 70s. So it was in bits and because it's, it's just, a, you know, he doesn't play anymore. It's, it's a, you know, it's to be sold. Um, so he couldn't really get it in tune. But then he, he just uh, he just sang Starry, Starry Night and the room just stopped. It just stopped. That voice. It was like time travel, Mario. It was so beautiful. And I was, was he in good voice? Yeah, his voice, his voice sounded good to me. Yeah. Um, he only sang about half a verse. But we were just looking at it and going, wow. The other thing God. about his voice is he sounds, it's hard to put this, this these words don't t- entirely encapsulate what I mean. He sounds like America in 1973 or four. Yeah, yeah. Or that, 70. 71, 71 was that song. He sounds like America at that time. It's like the voice of America. Yeah, and it, it's brilliant his timing on that song that yeah. 71 was when the sheen was coming off the 60s. There'd been a few riots in American colleges, American troops had shot dead students and all this kind and of stuff. And the Stones a, had ended the 60s yeah. with that horrible concert in yeah. free Alt Mountain, yeah. Alt Mountain. Beatles had broken up. So there was this sense of it's all getting real again. The dream is over. Yeah. And then he has this song about the day the music died and he goes through all these different things. Seven minutes long, split over two sides of a seven inch single. Would you, would you imagine that? Imagine the audacity of that. When the record the, company must have been fuming. When you get to the end, you have to switch to turn it, it over. over. <laughs> and he carries on. You couldn't invent that. As I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> bye, bye. <laughs> exactly. You should have said that on the second side. Where was I again? <laughs> yes, that would be perfect. <laughs> so it was just though that moment where I just looked at him going, oh, the chords are C. G and D, there's nothing, there's nothing to those chords. A week at guitar lessons, you have those chords, right? Mm. But how do you pick those words? How do you set them? How do you suddenly evoke this world so quickly and so instantly? You know, I, I was hanging on his every word and he was, he was saying things to me like he learned to be really, really hard on himself. That he said, even though he was only starting off as a singer-songwriter, he knew his rivals were Neil Young and Joni Mitchell and Bob Dylan because that was the standard and he said unless you write something that's up there or thereabouts nobody's going to go near you and want to listen to you again so he was really hard on himself and he said I was just rejecting song after song after song and working at it just listening to a lyric going it's lazy cliche go back to it and just working at it so he just kept saying work really 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 hard and he told a good story he said um I realised what, what I mainly had in my heart that I wanted to write about was women. I, I love women and I wanted to write about them. So he says, you meet a woman, you fall in love, there's a song. You know, you, you, you then you marry that woman, there's a song. You have a family together, 
there's a song. Maybe you break up, there's a song. You cheat on that woman, there's an expensive song. (laughs) (laughs) You get back together. (laughs) Ah, so good. (laughs) So he was great. Um, I just, but again, I'm just, it's part of that ongoing mystery. How do you do it? How do you... How, does, how is Vincent so amazing? Um, when, when he was saying but, about but, that... But, but to stop at Vincent for a minute. Yeah. What an incredible subject matter. Yes. Why the bloody hell write a song about Vincent van Gogh? Yeah. And how many Egypts afterwards were going, right, there's loads of painters out there. I'm writing one about <laughs> Mamet Manny. And yes. they were shit. Yes. Well, if, Vincent, if, if, if Don McLean can do it, <laughs> yes. I can write one about Manny. He was a better painter than your man as well. <laughs> what about Picasso? Jesus, I, tell, I get the Sex Pistols to write about Picasso. Yes. No. <laughs> no, not no, at all. No. Not at all. No, so yeah. why? But it's just stupid. Yeah. But, it, but no, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't. He evokes something and it was just gorgeous. Yeah. And in that room, um, most of his fans were probably around the same age, late 60s, early 70s. And what's that? that what, they can, were just... Can you think of something equally as random, actually, that that that, may, that, that, is, that is also a great song? So, for example, Starry, Starry Night... Is about yeah. Vincent van Gogh. Yeah. Or van Gogh one, or van yeah. Gogh. One particular right. painting. And one particular painting. Yeah. So who cares? It's just a brilliant song. Yes. About a guy who was a bit mad. Yes. And, and cut his ears off. Yes. One ear. Yeah. Right? Now, that isn't a great recipe for a song. I'm afraid the only thing I think of like that is Turning Japanese by the Vapors. Oh, which is, is a brilliant song. About masturbation. So they say. <laughs> is, is it? Is it though? Is it? is it? is it about masturbation? At this stage, I'd like to believe it is. It has to be. You know. Yeah. I'm disappointed if it isn't. Yeah. So. Um, I really think yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah. So. so turning Japanese and Vincent. Yeah. But I mean, turning Japanese isn't in the same league as Vincent. Not in the same league no. as Vincent. No. no, not in the same league. If you want a treat, uh, and you haven't, probably nothing you haven't seen. I think, but, but but maybe I could surprise you. There's a YouTube, go down a little YouTube hole and watch Don McLean singing um, Crying. Oh, yeah. And if you see him singing Crying, yeah. you realise this guy is different gravy. Different. And the reason is, he's singing in front of a live audience. It's effortless. Yeah. But if you listen to the notes he's singing in that, you realise that you've got a top quality, maybe he's a baritone or a tenor, I'm yeah. not so sure. This guy is some singer. Yeah. Now, I'm not talking Vincent or American Pie where... Anybody can, you know, jam up in front of the, the, the fire and at a party and sing it and get away with it. This is singing. Hmm. And, you know, this guy carries this song. It's unbelievable. And sometimes I love watching. I'm obsessed with somebody. I'm obsessed with the idea of being completely in command of your craft. Hmm. The idea that you can go out in front of an audience and seem to do something and they go, how did he do that? And you can kind of hopefully, if you work hard enough, at it, do it effortlessly. Hmm. And I love just picking things, picking ones out. So yeah. one is, there's a lovely little uh, clip of O'Driscoll on the net. Brian O'Driscoll. And it's, uh, it's, it's Don't Stop Believing. And it's just O'Driscoll's tries. And you just go, really? here's a guy in command of yeah. his craft. Yeah. He's just slightly ahead of everybody in everything he does. Yeah. Right? The next one I then was Whitney Houston. Now, singing the American National Anthem yeah. at Super Bowl. Yeah. She just comes out and sings this rather hard song. Yeah. M- nails it. Yeah. Right? Another one. Barbara Streisand, 1976, just at an awards show singing The Way We Were. Right. And you just go, she has the, she's at her absolute peak. Yeah. The Way We Were peak. Um, and she's just got the audience in the palm of her hand and she knows it. Yeah. And she's toying with them. Yeah. Right. Another one was something I sent to Ian the other night. Dionne Warwick singing, Walk on by. Yeah. Right. In a cafe in, Bris- in, um, in Paris years ago. And the playfulness and the yeah. command she has over the... The vocal and the melody together. It's just... Yeah, it's, it's gorgeous. It's just watching people yeah. 
who are doing something with hardly any effort. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah. It's their talent, though, isn't it? That's the thing. Um, I used to do Planet Rock profiles where we interviewed various yep. people. And one of them was Al Green, the Reverend Al Green. And he and I were in a hotel room across the road, Brown's Hotel, up in one of the rooms doing the interview. And he was as normal uh, as you are. We were just chatting and he was telling stories. And it was just, you forgot he was Al Green. It was just this bloke telling you stories about how hard it had been to make it. And he said, I have this manager for ages. And he kept saying, sing in your own voice, Al. Um, he said, no, I, I didn't think my voice would suit people. I, I was singing this kind of American kind of croon thing that I thought was in the charts. So I said, right, 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 you know. So he said, eventually that was going nowhere for me. I was going to starve to death. And my manager was going to stop managing me. And we were working on a, a, one of the songs I was to cover. And I sang it the way I would always sing. And he said, look, this is over. This is not working. So he said, sing it in your own voice. So he stood up at this point and he just sang, take me to the river. And I just... I felt like I nearly, my heart stopped. It was like, Jesus, it's Al Green. It was like Al Green had only arrived in the, in the room at that moment, yeah, you know. Yeah. And I was like, this is why we're in the room. You have a voice like that. You can do that. You can just stand up and go, take me to the river. And and everyone's going to pay attention, you know. It's just, it's a real gift. And I find that very often you meet people and you're, you're having normal everyday chat and you can take them for granted. But then they do something that's the reason that they're well known in the first place. And that's that they show you the talent. And very often that's jaw dropping, absolutely jaw dropping. Like Dom doing the first few lines of Vincent, it was jaw dropping. And it's a beautiful thing to see. And someone like Barbara Streisand gets up, you see, this is why it's selling millions of records. She has something, there's something going on there that just transcends the moment. It's wonderful. Mm. Mm. Um, the Harry Styles you mentioned earlier, right? And, <laughs> yes, and one, indeed. By the way, the reason I'm talking to Tom is because Tom writes this fantastic column in the in the Irish Examiner, and I read it nearly every week. And I'm I've been onto him on Twitter before that he has to get them into a book to publish them because they it would make a great book, even at Christmas, just a great book, a compilation of your um of your of your articles because they're. They're socio-economic as well, socio-cultural as well, because they tell stories of your history and your past and when you were growing up in your house and what you were first listening to and, you know, things like that, turning over that record and, you know, all that sort of stuff and sex pistols and all this sort of stuff. And one of the things you were talking about not so long ago was Harry Styles. And I suppose it was in defense of Harry Styles, wasn't it? Yes. It was the idea that Harry Styles is the man of the moment. There's yeah. a lot of music snobbery going on. A lot there, of that. Harry Styles playing yeah. Slain. Man, where's the dress on the magazine? Hey. Yeah. Slain. Slain. Harry Stoyles isn't up to Slain. that. Slain. Where ACDC played them, where all the greats have played. And him playing and there as well. And what you're saying basically is he's chiming. He is chiming. He's chiming. Like to use that word that we used going out of style. And, <laughs> <laughs> and he's chiming for very specific reasons. He is pure class. He is a star. From You know, some people just have it. When he walked onto those auditions for X Factor, you looked at him and you thought, oh, if he can sing they have a chance here and then since then it has only gotten better and better and better and when I saw the video for As It Was I just thought oh god give up give up this guy has you know he owns the pitch at this stage you know mm -hmm. he owns all the footballs and the pitch and all the training facilities he's the man he's the man yeah. give it he's, to him and, and in a sense he's Elvis 
Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is, and he knows it. Oh. You'd have to. Is he George Michael as well? Or yeah, is he... it's all rolled into. It's one. all rolled into. Yeah, one, it's it? just he's phenomenal. the main man. Yeah, and he has a great touch. So I'd heard the As It Was uh, track, and I just I'm a huge fan of pop music. I love music that just Lizzo is another one. I think Juice is one of the greatest songs of all time. I absolutely love it. And when As It Was was coming through, I just I couldn't get over how memorable it was. How the hooks are just mm. hook after hook after hook. It's sensational to listen to. So we had a moment in the car where it came on and my hand reached over. But so too did my 15-year-old daughter's hand. So she thought I was turning it down. (laughs) (laughs) We were both turning it up. And she says, do you like this? I said, oh, yes, I like this. So when he came to do do Slane, it's the first time ever in my life that I've had the four computers going. And I said, we're all going to Slane next year. That's happening. You know, and I I know I can't pull any favours here. I have to buy tickets for everybody else. Um, I'm going to do it and we did but that's interesting being your daughter though because because you'll surprise him because that'll be a surprising moment whereas another dad may have turned it down you're of course are listening to the hooks and in total admiration of this total of this this it's up there with Old Town or New England or any of those classic pop songs that I could listen to for the rest of my life like a Tony Fenton thing I could just never get bored of it yeah I was speaking about Tony Tony used to you talk about hooks. Tony used yeah. to be able to, and, and I feel so, in a way, privileged that because I was his friend and I sat near him, he'd ever so often, he'd throw me something new every so often and go, I like this, what do you think of it? <laughs> and nearly 90% of the time I'd go, Tony, it's rubbish, right? So one of the ones that, 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 that sticks with me is Future Islands, right? Yeah. And he threw me this thing, you know, and Future Islands, and I couldn't hear it. So only about the fourth time I heard it, I went, yeah, this is fucking good. Yeah. And he knew it from the first time he heard it. And Ian has that as well. They have the jock's ability to hear something and find something. Yeah, I I think really good people, I hope so. People like Ian and Tony, if they weren't doing their jobs, they'd be A&R men. That's right. You know, they'd hear something. Yeah, and Mm. the John Peels of this world, the Paul McClunes. Yeah. They're, it, they're fascinated yeah. by it. They live for it. Yeah. And they they're know picking the, up something off yeah, the song. They know the good stuff the moment. Well, they he hear picked it. up something off this Future Islands. Yeah. Um, what was the song? The, 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 Seasons the, Change. Seasons Change. Great track. And his funny yeah. dance as well. Remember on, on American TV? I do. <laughs> it went funny, viral. His funny dance. Yeah. Oh, he was a beautiful dancer because yeah, it, it was original. It was just. And him. again, childlike. Yeah, and, and just having to express himself. I have to but get this out like, of myself. He was myself. dancing like there was nobody watching. Yeah. And I wish I could do that. And I can't. I haven't danced like I was nobody watching since I was. Oh, what? Since I was 18 and drunk or 17 and drunk, 19 and drunk. Yeah, I'm afraid I still have that gift. Do you? Ah, uh, yeah. Give me, give me Beyonce or, or Lizzo. You and know, you can dance to it. Absolutely, but go mad. Nothing will stop me. Oh, so was, yeah, that's cute. I've always felt that. Connected, stereo MCs. When that came on, mm. get up. Get up. There's Aww, nothing else you nice. can do. Yeah, it's great. It's wonderful. And I know it probably looks awful now, but I don't care. You mentioned, um, sorry, I'm reverting back to something we talked earlier. I hope this doesn't ruin the, the structure of the podcast. But um, did I ever tell you I have um, the, this book I go back to all the time, which I'm sure you do as well. You go back to certain music books over and over, maybe. The Revolution in the Head. Is that the big, huge one? No, it's not. It's about two inches oh, thick. Okay. And Revolution in the Head is um, is is every Beatles song uh, catalogued from the f- chronologically yeah. the first song they wrote to the last song they wrote and it's an account basically of who wrote it where they wrote it why they wrote it where they were in the world a brief overview of what was happening in the world at that time what was happening in their lives at that time and the writing process and I remember thinking I think it was going back to you You said you want, I want to hold your hand and I think I want to hold your hand was one of the last times they sat opposite each other and did call and response. 
All right. Where they, two of them, actually sat with guitars yeah. in front of each other and they called out at each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, come on. Yeah, come that on, sort of stuff. But on. then they would, you write the next yeah. line almost. Not yeah. quite like that, you know? I mean, I know, for example, a day in the life they shared, and yeah. but they would have passed on their bits and yeah. said, I have that bit and see you two months. Yeah. But this one, this is when they're actually on the road. This is when they're one direction. Yeah. When they're one direction. So it's, you know, it's Harry Styles and Niall Horan, if you like, sitting together. Not quite the same level, but something yeah. similar. Amazing. Uh, stories I heard about um, when Paul used to live in Jane's dad's place, his first girlfriend, um, he used to, Jane Asher. Yeah. He, they, they found a room for him in the house and they had a piano downstairs and uh, John would come over and then... John would call the rest of the family in and say, listen to this one. And they'd play stuff like, please, please me. With John and Paul sitting together on the piano with four hands playing the oh, piano. Can you imagine? No. Incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They gave songs to, that was, uh, Jane Asher's brother was Peter Asher, who later became uh, Peter, Paul and Mary. Okay. And they gave them songs that they had hits with. They just, they the band is going absolutely nowhere, yeah. but they find themselves living at Lennon and McCartney and yeah. they say, here, take these, we're not using these. Yeah, yeah. And they get two number ones out of them. Wow! How mad! <laughs> Which ones were they? Uh, I don't care what you say. I won't live in a world without love. Mm. Uh, I can't remember the second one. Yeah, really. <laughs> it, was, it was interesting because in in part during our conversation, we've covered some of the areas that I had yeah. written down. Good. So, I, like good. one of the things was, do you still write? Uh, have you written anything good? You've answered yeah. all that question. Yeah. And and the answer is yes, except Tom, you're, 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 you 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 answered your own question as well when you said, "My time is gone now to chime." With the, yeah, with, with the, you yeah. know, uh, because chiming with twenty four years of age, chiming with a different audience. Yeah, yes. I mean, like the most you can hope for is that you'll write stuff that you know your audience still enjoys, and it might get a bit of airplay, and more of your audience might come back. But that that moment when you have the the attention of the world, that's so brief. I read a great book, Exit Stage Left, which is about people the short uh, afterlife of the pop star, and it, it makes the point. It goes through everyone's career. And it, there's no question, it begins and it ends. It, there's an arc to everyone's career in music. And it, some people manage to prolong it a bit, but basically it comes to an end and you have to try and deal with not being the centre of attention anymore. And some of them are dreadful stories, really awful stories. People can't, haven't been told for a period that you are you know, a gifted genius and then suddenly nobody cares less what you do. It's really hard come down to kind of take, you know. Somebody you wrote about as well, actually, now that comes to my mind, yeah. talking about that subject entirely and somebody who would be, you know, relevant to me because the same part of the world uh, that I came from and that's Waterford and that's Gilbert O'Sullivan. Oh, yes. And of course, you think about Gilbert O'Sullivan who wrote yeah. Alone Again Naturally and Nothing yeah. Rhymed. Yeah. Little, little while from now, yeah, not feeling any less sour, promise myself yep. to deep, build a little white tower. And absolutely, songs which were part of the, the, the tapestry of the early 1970s in Britain. It was, did he even made it in America, I think? He did, yeah. Number yeah. one in America. Number one, was yeah. it? Nothing Alone around? Again, naturally. Alone Again was number one in America. Yeah, number one. So he made it in Ireland, England and America and yeah. Europe. And then this guy, of course, Gilbert O'Sullivan, if people don't know, he still gigs around everywhere. And like, I might be doing Gift and I might be doing the Wexford Opera House. And it's like, what's that on the ground? Oh, it's just a Gilbert left that there. Like, Gilbert O'Sullivan was here last night. Actually, how many, was full, was it? wasn't quite full. So are you saying yeah. Gilbert O'Sullivan didn't sell out the Opera House? Yeah. And you know, you're just going, this is this genius character. Do you know what I mean? And his most recent album was Pure Class. Really? Absolutely pure class. Really? He is such a witty, clever man. Wordsmith. Yeah. And he was saying that he writes the melodies first and then he spends weeks 
writing the lyrics and the new album there isn't a tired lyric on it it's absolutely beautiful we put it on one night out in the garden and four or five songs in Audrey was going oh, what's this this new one and I go, yeah that's the new one was she uh, buying it as well absolutely we went to him on the strength Aww. we went to him in what was Port it like Energy. it was magnificent what was he like because he's I in was, his 70s now he is he's about 76 or 77 and what was he, he was like? great he was there with uh, Bill Shanley playing guitar with him as a sensational but I'm in a row because I've used my guest list privileges right I've made a phone call any chance you can get me in right Mm. But so have all the other people in my row, right? <laughs> so I'm in a row with Paul Brady, Paul Harrington, uh, Elner McAvoy, and myself, right? So we're, we're love all those people. Yeah. So then Gilbert starts saying, "Now I want to hear you guys singing." So I'm looking down the row, saying, "We have this, lads. <laughs> you know, if we can't be the best row in the Board Gosh Energy Theatre, who can? You know, so, or when he's still trying to sing along. Now you sing the next bit. We're giving it gusto. So on his side. <laughs> yes. Did he, and did he sang alone again naturally. He sang. How everything. does he sing that? Beautifully. Still well. Yeah, he's just him on the piano yeah. and, and Bill Shanley, who's a sensational guitar player. I really enjoyed this chat. We're ostensibly <laughs> we're at an end, but. Yes. Um, I think it's worked. Hopefully. No, it has hopefully, worked. It has yeah. worked. I, I have to say, my, my passion for music... Do you like the vibe? Yeah, very yeah. much so. You it, see it, where I'm coming from. Yes, I do. That I'm, I'm open. My, I'm, op- my, I'm an open palate. Yeah. My passion is a curiosity to me. I feel that music has almost afflicted me from the moment I heard it. And particularly when I heard the Sex Pistols. It was never the same again. And it's just like, I can't figure out how it has such a hold on me. <laughs> Whether it's worthwhile. Am I mad? Am I mad to be so afflicted by it? But I can't. I can't change. I just... It's 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 remarkably powerful force on me. Um, I, I love it so much, and I feel privileged to have lived through a, a time in life when music has been so accessible, and when there's been such talent to enjoy. Does music make you? Uh, the, does music make you emotional? Totally. Yeah. yeah. Do you, I mean I, without being maudlin about it? Have you? Do you ever weep or cry when you hear a piece of music or a song? I think they very often lift me more so than I, I find them a very positive. And so you might have tears in a thing. lifted way. Yeah, yeah. And God only knows the song. Now I've sung that at funerals. I've sung it at weddings. Yeah, I remember uh, you've told me. A, yeah, yeah, it's a powerful, powerful song. It's so it's like a prayer. And I, I, I it, again, you just your curiosity. You wonder what's so powerful about it. And it just seems to. It's actually a real simple moment that transcends time. I heard somebody saying that recently, that music is one of the few things that transcends time. And it does. You know, when, when Don McLean sang those few lines, the people in that crowd could have been 17 or 70. It just, you know, it just, the world just flashes before you. All of your worlds mm. flash before you. So I, I might be that. wrong on this, but I don't think animals make music. No. Particularly. Well, we know generally they know don't. Of, yeah. Not that we know, but we don't understand. Don't, yeah. and, and I'm wondering if trying to tap into what has a hold of you mm. and I'm wondering if part of the appeal of music is that language is um, limited Yeah, but this is something otherworldly music yeah, is. is something otherworldly and yeah. we are just about yeah. intelligent enough to get that there's something going on in it mm. we don't quite know what it is mm. but it's an intelligence that animals don't have no. necessarily now you could correct me if you're out there and you're listening and go well, Listen, have you, yeah. there's a group of dogs out there. Have you met Murph? That's our new Wait till I show you this lad. Come here now. But as far as I know, music is a kind of a higher thing. Yeah, And that's what we're tapping into. And, and it's higher if, than language. Yeah, and if you hear any of those field recordings of, of old uh, 1910s, 1920s recordings, just when gramophones were recorded, and they might have a you know Chicago blues band in the studio to record one song for only one take. The life that you can hear from those people, it's it's powerful. Uh, it just gives you a sense of them and their vitality. Yeah. What was going on in their lives? 
in or even if you watch 100 the, years ago yeah or even if you watch the, even the Baz Luhrmann movie about Elvis and stuff about Elvis yeah. and black music the idea that somebody could sing something and the moment they started singing it that let's say the black people would understand yeah. that's us that's me that's yeah. our culture what within two tones yeah. within two, two bars, chords yeah, two yeah, bars very, yeah, that's yeah. our entire culture yeah. so music can do things that books and hours of lectures can't do no. it can just capture that, something that might be why artists like writers are able to get better and better as they get older but music has this little because it's so intense mm. it just it, it can only burn bright mm. and it can't burn that bright for very long and somebody who's like Bob who's burned incandescent like his tail off is still going to be absolutely amazing as it is but for most people it's a short little yeah. it's a little flame but it's a flame of you and that, that I think is a huge thing because a lot of the people will, will argue many of the bands I love Micro Disney never really made it they made it in my they made it in my my estimate, estimation yeah. you know, they made music that speaks forever of where they were from and what they yeah, did yeah I had him written down on my list I, I think we'd, we'd probably save things like this to another time but Carl Coughlin mm. um, was a cork genius yeah. who was the, the, the creative force behind Micro Disney and I know you did a show on him yeah. And I know you you were a great admirer of his. And uh, what was it, Town to Town? Was that yeah. one of their big yeah. signs? But they did other stuff. They, yeah, they, loads. And he was doing stuff till the end as well. Yeah, he was. Um, very interesting yeah. material. And of course, that's another interesting side to like, music. Somebody would love his take on life. The second album, which was recorded just before he died, he's kind of ruminating on, on the end of, of life. And he's saying, it's not it's not the great philosophers or, or the great writers that you notice. It's the showmans. Everywhere you look, it's just bloody showmans. <laughs> it's like... It's, looking at life he's saying it's not about those big you know sharp moments it's bloody show bands mm, they're yeah. everywhere <laughs> I think it's, oh, it's just so great it's yeah. just funny wry sardonic little comment on life yeah it's beautiful yeah uh, some other time I'd love you to come in and come on the podcast because there's so much there's so much other areas we could have fun with yeah um, even off the top of my head if you just you because you're, you're you, you love having fun and it's that idea of I'd love to chat to you sometimes about the so-called meanings of certain songs I mean, you can start with like, you know, like uh, the, the Hotel California and stuff like that. It's yeah. like about heroin or whatever, you know, and, and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. And you could demystify some of this sort of stuff yeah. for me, maybe. And we could talk about a couple of subjects. Yeah, to, I, to, I have to, to say, to the more I go on, the more I think that anyone who writes a song and explains it is a fool. Because <laughs> <laughs> people make up their own understanding. Yeah. It's often way beyond what yeah. the writer had in mind. So what's one of the most talked about songs in terms of its meanings? Do you think what's um, a few of the songs that are talked about? Yeah, I'm, like t- t- that people read stuff into. I'm not really sure. I am the walrus. To be honest, yeah, I, 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 <laughs> it always went right by me. I always thought that was just John having yeah, the crack, exactly. You know, hundred um, percent. I don't really know. I don't really yeah. know. American Pie, of course, everybody's read. But that's that. like that. Yeah, now that's been analysed as if it's the great, you know, American novel. Yeah, um, yeah, and it is. And he's very clever. Way to he taps stairway. into. Oh, he's very clever the way he's coy about that, isn't he? Yeah, I would be coy as well. Yeah. People's imaginations are much better yeah. than ours. Let yeah. them off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tom, listen, I've really enjoyed it. Me too, Mario. Thank I, you so yeah, much. Sadly, I could talk all day about oh, music. Oh, I know, I love it. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. My thanks as always to Tom Dunn. Um, again, if you want to drop me a line about music, gigs, anecdotes, stories, best gigs you've ever been at, do so. Mario Rosenstock at gmail.com. Take it handy. Same time, same place next week. Bye. <laughs>